Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be with you here at OCC. Don't let that thought get too far away from you. This idea of worship. Worship is our response to who God is, to what he's doing. We're going to talk about that today, but I want to make one real quick little announcement. And this one's going to be fun. I want to show you a little picture if I can. Oh, isn't that cute? This little cutie is Hannah Grace Smith. She is the daughter of Andrew and Melinda Smith. And you're like, Pastor James, that name sounds familiar. Andrew Smith. Andrew Smith answered the call to be our student ministry pastor in November, but could not move here into the valley until this thing happened. And so, <laughs> and so we're super excited about that. She was born on Wednesday. Little baby and mama are doing fine. And we're trying to figure out how to make logistics happen to get Andrew and Melinda here. But we're very, very excited for them. Welcome Hannah Grace. If you're friends with them on social media, reach out and tell them you love them. And that's going to be a good, good thing. But, okay, jump back in. Grab your Bible. We're talking about worship. And that was a pretty convicting video, I think, this idea of, is that what we're here to do? Because we have choices to make about this, right? Many of you, you made the choice to come sit in this room. Some are engaging in worship online. And that's great, but, you know, one of those requires a little more effort. It's not that hard to roll out of bed and then roll to your recliner and stop in the kitchen on the way and get a muffin and Diet Coke. You know, that, that's easier if you did get up and get showered and put clothes on and navigate all the way here to 822 Brighton. Either way, you're choosing to engage, right? And so if you're going to do this, if you're going to be with us and worship here in the building today or watching on TV, then you're giving something else up, right? If you're here in the service, you're most likely not fishing, right? Unless you are watching on a tablet while you're out fishing. If you're here, you're not Shopping. If you're here, you're not working. If you're here, you're not sleeping. Some of you, and I'm watching, so no. You've made this choice to come and worship. And so like that video said from that great verse in Romans 12, if we've made that decision, then we understand we're likely giving other things up. And this is something economists call opportunity cost, right? Experiencing this opportunity means you're going to miss out on the other opportunity. Have your Bible join me. Gospel of Luke. We're going to continue studying in chapter 18 today. We're in verses 28 to 34. And based on this dialogue that Jesus has with Peter at the beginning of this passage, it's pretty clear Peter is pointing back to the passage we studied last week, right? That was the text where we encountered this guy, the rich young ruler. And if you remember, as we studied, Jesus really cut to the chase with this guy. Jesus got right into his kitchen. He got this guy to admit that he didn't actually keep the Ten Commandments. This guy had a God that he placed above Jesus, and it was his love of money. And that love of money meant he was unwilling to sacrifice his God. He wouldn't do that to show love to others. And so truly, the rich young ruler didn't keep the commandments, right? He didn't love the Lord God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. He loved money. He didn't love his neighbor as himself because he wasn't going to give up on his money to help other people. And we learned he couldn't handle the truth. So he walked away from Jesus very sad. Now, that's a bold evangelism strategy. It's one that only Jesus can do perfectly. But it's that interaction that we looked at last week that sets the scene for our story today. Because we know the rich young ruler was unwilling to endure much opportunity cost. Now, Peter jumps in as the 
ringleader of the other disciples. And he says, you know, we're not like that guy. We're not like that selfish, wealthy guy at all. He was unwilling to give stuff up to follow Jesus, but we are willing. So that's the question in the back of my mind today. Did we come to worship? Are we weighing the opportunity cost of, cost of being a Christ follower in our lives, day to day, 24-7, 365? How much are we willing to give up to follow Jesus? Have we honestly asked ourselves that question? What are the things I'm willing to sacrifice to be a Christ follower? If you're asking the question selfishly, it sounds like this. What do I get out of this? What do I get out of this relationship? It almost sounds like the start of a joke. It's so weird, right? And I love, what do you get when you cross this with this? You know, my kids were growing up, they loved those. What do you get when you cross a skunk with a police officer? Law and odor. (laughs) What do you get when you cross a person who is dyslexic with a person who suffers from insomnia with a person who is agnostic? Someone who sits up all night wondering if there's a dog. I can, I can wait for the rest of you. <laughs> These are cute, right? But, but this passage isn't a joke. Peter starts this off. We know he's the ringleader, but I think all the other disciples are thinking this same thought. Man, that rich young ruler, he wouldn't give up on his stuff. So we understand why he walked away sad. But what about us, Jesus? We're giving up everything. And I think it is so incredible here. It's a tremendous opportunity for us to tell on ourselves. Are we willing to ask this question? Is it worth it? If I'm weighing opportunity costs, if I'm evaluating the costs of following Jesus like the disciples, or am I going to walk away sad like a rich young ruler? If I say I'm all in, did I make a good choice? Now, I don't see hearts like Jesus does, and so I don't know what kind of criteria we would use to even make that evaluation. It seems like on some level we'd have to play a little bit of that comparison game that I talked about last week. We'd have to look at somebody else, somebody you know who doesn't go to church and go, well, that guy didn't give any money to the church because he doesn't go to the church. So that guy has more money to spend on himself. We'd do something like that. That guy never goes to church on Sunday. I never see him there. He never goes Monday night. So that guy gets to watch a lot more football than I do, right? It'd be some kind of conversation like that. That's the crux of the argument. What's the baseline there? Do the lives of Christ followers really look any different from the lives of people who don't follow Jesus? What are we thinking about opportunity costs? read a survey online this week, and it was sad, honestly. It's by the Barna Group, their president, David Kinneman. And he asked questions across the board, 152 different areas, where they compared how Christ followers treat the world around them versus non-Christ followers, folks who don't go to church. How do they make decisions? And this is where it got sad. The survey discovered there was virtually no difference between those two groups. In many, many areas of opportunity cost, the lives of Christ followers looked exactly like the lives of non-Christ followers. No differences. Percentage of divorce, divorce rates, just percentage points different. Tenths of percentage points difference between those two groups. How much they gave, very, very similar, which meant both groups were not given very much. Content they consumed on TV, movies, internet, those groups looked very much alike. So it begs the question, If we're identifying as Christ followers and we're filling out that survey, what are we giving up to follow Christ? Just how closely are we following? Are we offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, as the verse said? Are we not sacrificing much at all to wear that title, that name of Christian? God's word is super convicting in this area. The Bible instructs us often to be holy, to be set apart, to live different 
to pursue God, not the trappings of this world, to earnestly follow after Christ. First John chapter two, verse 15 tells us this. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. That's convicting. What about this one? We studied this one just a few months ago. Luke 9, 23. Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That seems pretty cut and dry. Deny yourself, not deny yourself unless it comes to the money that God gives you to give and then you don't have to deny yourself. Deny yourselves unless it comes to the content you watch because everybody else watched this video. I feel like I should watch this video. It's, it's not that way at all. Luke 9.23 isn't in some separate category of scripture for super Christians that really committed Christ followers. No, it's part of what we're supposed to do. It's the fundamentals of the faith. It's the guideline for every person who has a relationship with God by grace through faith. Is it easy? No. We need to be honest with ourselves. This is very, very hard. It's a fallen world. We're sinful people. Am I seriously the only person who's asking this question? What, what do I get out of this? Is it worth it? Am I willing to pay the opportunity costs of following Jesus? Because I'm okay if it's just me, because I know it's just me and Peter, because he's asking this same question. <laughs> I think that this thought is going through his head here in Luke 18. And I think, honestly, he's looking for a little reassurance from Jesus that he made the right choice and given everything away and following him. Let's dive into this together. Again, we'll have this on the screens if you need it. Luke 18, starting at verse 28. Luke writes this. Peter says, based on the interaction we just saw with the rich young ruler, behold, Jesus, we've left our own homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much. You ready for this? Right now. <laughs> At this time and in the age to come. You're going to get eternal life. Now this story appears in the synoptic gospels and I love correlating scripture here because Matthew includes something that Luke doesn't in this. I want to share this as well. Matthew 19 verse 27. Because Matthew says, Then Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? That's the question. Same context, same story right after we interact with the rich young ruler. What's in it for us? The disciples are saying, we deny ourselves. We follow hard after you. Is it worth it? And I love how Christ responds. He doesn't go off on Peter. He doesn't call him Satan or anything. He knows this is a legitimate question from a guy who truly did give up a lot. Peter quit his job to follow Jesus. Jesus couch surfs at Peter's house a lot, and we don't know how Mrs. Peter feels about that. That might be awkward, right? This is a real deal. Are we applying this to our lives today? Man, if you've ever wondered this out loud or in private, I think Jesus will reassure us. The opportunity cost of giving up things that are going to perish to gain things that are everlasting, that's a good deal. Cost of giving up things that rust and wear out so that we can have abundance and everlasting things. The scale slides really, really far in our favor when we make that wise choice and deny ourselves and commit to following Christ. But to do that practically, it's kind of a three-step process. Hope you grabbed an outline on your way in. If we're going to truly follow Jesus, we've got to deny ourselves, number one, by letting go of everything. Hold on a second, Pastor James. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean everything? Everything. Everything and anything that could potentially get in that spot where we'd make it an idol. 
where we might elevate that above following God. We got to be willing to let that go. Now, I'll admit this notion can be a little confusing in God's word. We even get a verse that says, you know, we're supposed to hate our family. And that's tricky, right? Hate your family so you can love the Lord. We have to correlate scripture. We have to see the big picture. We're not supposed to hate our family to follow Jesus. Jesus places us in families. He loves family. The idea is, are we getting the priorities right? If we're going to elevate our family above Jesus, we're doing it wrong. Whatever it is, we can't place our hobbies, we can't place our successes, we can't place our relationships above God. We've got to let go of everything to have those right priorities. There's Matthew 6, 33, say, seek him first. He'll take care of everything else. Number two, we have to commit ourselves to God's will in our lives, not our own will. That's not easy either. Number three, we need to pursue Christ. We need to be seeking after him. We need to be following him, devoted to him. That's the call for Christ followers, not super Christians. And this passage helps us see that. Jesus plainly addresses the true opportunity cost of following him. But we also see some of the return on our investment. We see the blessings we receive because we're faithful. And we also learn at the end of this passage, we're going to face trials in this life even when we're following hard after Jesus. So let's walk through this. I want to look at this notion of following Christ and denying ourselves. And, and I'll admit this is a little tricky because our examples are way out here. Our examples are on the extremes, right? We've got the rich young ruler who's not willing to give up anything, and we've got the disciples who gave up everything. And we're like, ooh, let there be an option C. <laughs> I, need, I need a third choice here, right? I don't want it to just be those two options. And sometimes I think we speed through this too fast. I've heard people kind of wrestle this one away by saying, well, as long as I'd be willing to give something up, then I probably won't have to. <laughs> That's close. <laughs> Dodge the bullet there, right? And, and, and I will admit that is true. I think it is. But what if we didn't make that so hypothetical? What if we really wrestled with that? What would I be willing to give up? I was real blessed early in my life when I first went into ministry. I had a guy pouring into my life. He was the committee chair of Young Life, and he was a disciple maker for me. I didn't even know what to call it at the time, but he was mentoring me. And this guy was ridiculously blessed, good guy. And he had a great job, owned a business that made a lot of money. And so he had a sweet house and a great pool and fancy cars and went on killer vacations, just a lot of good stuff. But this guy was also super generous, gave abundantly to... Young Life to other missions organizations gave to his church real well. And the church he and his wife were going to, they, they were going to have a building fund, had a fundraising drive. They wanted to build a new church. And so they were asking people to pray about it and pledge an amount. And so he and his wife agreed to pray separately. He was going to pray and then she was going to pray and then they were going to get together and see if they had the same number from God. And so he went to pray and he got a big number. He got like a, a huge number. And so he went to meet with his wife and he was like, I asked her to go first because whatever she said, if it was lower, I was going to say, yeah, that's what God gave me too. <laughs> we were really close. I mean, he, he wasn't hindstorming, but she gave him exactly the same number, huge number. And they're like, the only way we can do this literally is to sell our house. If we're going to be able to make this pledge, we're going to have to sell our house. And so they committed to sell their house. And they started getting everything in order to sell their house before the end of the year. And, and it was around summer when they made this pledge. And in that, the rest of that year, the six months left in that year, his business made three times more money than they'd ever made before. <laughs> and so he was able to honor that commitment and not sell his house. But here's the deal. He wrestled. 
He said to me, I remember we were sitting in my office one day, and he goes, here's the deal. If I'm not willing to give up my house, if I'm not going to love God as much in a three-bedroom, two-bath ranch as opposed to this mansion I've got, then haven't I made my house an idol? Your word's not mine. I truly believe he was willing to let it go. And that's the question. Are we willing to let go of everything? Anything that is standing in our way of following Jesus. And I'm not just talking about stuff and possessions, but, but that's super practical for us, right? We live in America. We suffer from the, the bigger barn problem that we see in Scripture, but ours are bigger garages and bigger shops and, and things like that, bigger storage units. In light of eternity, we can't take any of that stuff with us. Are we willing to let it go? For some of us, it's not stuff. It's other things. It's sinfulness that we cling to. We don't want to deny. It's our sensuality. It's our immorality. It's our bitterness. It's our anger. I was so convicted of this this week. My wife is so helpful to me. Preaching at me the other day, some scripture. I can't remember what it was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because she knew that I was angry. We had a situation in our life where I really felt like I was being taken advantage of for being a pastor and I was convicted by scripture that said, wouldn't you rather just be wronged? And, but, but my attitude still wasn't right. And so she told me, you got to be praying for this guy every day. And so I did. I committed to pray. And at first I was faking it till I made it. I was just praying and God started working on my heart. And I thought I was good. I really thought I was making progress because I never saw this guy. <laughs> and then I ran into him and I realized I might've been praying wrong. I think I was praying for him to get hit by a bus. I'm not sure exactly how that worked out. I w I w it wasn't right. I was still angry. I was convicted of that. I'd been faithfully praying for this person. The anger was still there. Now that's convicting for me because here's the deal. I know that I can't cling to my sin, can't cling to my anger, and say I'm clinging to Jesus at the same time. Those things don't work out. I gotta be willing to let this go. God's working on us. We're a work in progress. But I have to deny my self-centeredness. And after we do that, we have to commit to being in God's will. Not many people write checks anymore, but I love this illustration from a guy named Stephen Cole. He's a pastor. He says, are we willing to sign a blank check and give it to God and say, God, you fill in the amount. You fill in the terms. Would we do that? That's a little scary, isn't it? I was thinking of that. My wife and I, we've been in the valley almost seven years now, and it has gone like that. But I remember when we moved to the Northwest, I had lived my whole life in the town where I was born and grew up and went to elementary school and junior high and high school and college. I thought I'd live in this town forever. Now it was easier to envision right out of college. I bought a little sporting goods store and I did that and I thought I'll just stay here. And then I went into ministry. <laughs> and you go into ministry, that's like writing God a blank check. <laughs> and God was so good. He, he was so patient. I mean, he didn't make me, one like Abraham, I had to go live in a tent the rest of my life right away. I wasn't Jonah, I didn't have to go to Nineveh. He put me on Young Life staff right there in my town, which was fantastic. When he got ready to call me to go on church staff in his church, he put me on staff at my church, the church Christine and I attended, so that was a little easier. And then I went to seminary, and I got out of seminary, and I really didn't think I was supposed to go looking for a job. I liked the job that I had, but through praying and through some weird circumstances, I ended up applying for a couple jobs. And, and Christine and I went up a couple times to interview at this church in Michigan, central Michigan, kind of right outside Grand Rapids, so it wasn't right on the lakes. Sweet church, nice people. Nice little community. 
And we went up there, and, and I didn't realize this. My wife, she told me later, had made a side deal with God. She <laughs> said God had promised her that we would never live in any place colder than Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And I was like... <laughs> don't know how that works for you, because <laughs> so we're up interviewing for this job, and it's good folks, again, they're asking questions, we're at this folks' lake house, and it's gorgeous, and Christina asked the question, she goes, how much snow do you get here every year? <laughs> and this guy's face just brightened up, he was like, oh, he was like, it's fantastic, it was nothing like over on the lakes, they get 150 inches, we only get 90. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and Christina told me we weren't called to go there, and so I was like, okay, that's good. <laughs> No, here, here's the real story. Those things, my wife is great, although she had a heart attack that day. She, she's great. We talked, and we prayed, and we were committed. If we both felt God was calling us there, we would go. Didn't matter how much snow they got, we'd go. If we sensed that peace, if we knew we were in God's will, and they offered us that job, and we didn't have the peace. So we had to tell them no, broke their hearts, broke our hearts to have to break their hearts. But I thought, well, that's it. I'm supposed to stay in Missouri, right? So we stayed on staff at my church. And a couple of years later, God blew some things up there at my church and opened the door for us to come and interview here. Seek a different position. Follow him. And, and this was a big ask. Right? It's a long way from Missouri. And so my wife made another little side deal with God. You see a theme here? <laughs> and she didn't tell me about this one either before we came. But we came and, and Orchard's Community Church, if you are aware of this, and we'll have our annual meeting soon. Orchards votes. We're not a congregational church, but we vote on my position. Senior pastor has to be approved by a, a vote of the body. And we also do it on capital acquisitions if we're going to spend a bunch of money. But, but anyway, so my wife knew about this, and she prayed that if we would come, because it was 2,000 miles from home, it was leaving family, the only way she'd be sure we were supposed to come is if there was a unanimous vote for us to come. <laughs> And if she'd told me that ahead of time, I'd have been like, don't pray that. <laughs> In church, that didn't happen. <laughs> like somebody's going to be that stick in the mud. But we came <laughs> and candidated and, and you guys voted and it was unanimous. And here we are. This is your fault. So just, just know that. But side deal aside, my wife had been laying out a fleece. What was the deal? We were committed to following God. It wasn't the easiest move for us to get our family out here. He's the one who gets the glory. And things here at this church have been fantastic. There have been so many blessings in this church. Now, there have been trials in everyone's life because of pandemic and things like that. There have been trials in our personal lives. But honestly, things here at the church have been so good. And I'm pretty sure it's because Satan hates that the church is thriving, he hates the good things that are happening. But the, the takeaway is we've got to ask this question. In our own lives, will we deny ourselves? Will we hand God that blank check? Let him fill in the amount. Let him fill in the terms. Are we going to commit to following his will for our lives? Are we going to be in that spot where Jesus went us when he said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done? I'm using my example here because I have my permission, but, but I want each one of us to think about this. What does my life look like in that regard? Would I be willing to give God that blank check? Got to let go of things that hold us back. Have to commit to being in God's will. And number three, we need to be pursuing Christ. And that is going to be hard to do if we're not weighing our opportunity costs correctly. I wonder if that's some of what motivated Peter to approach Jesus in that way. I wonder if he's looking at the rich young ruler and going, man, 
I mean, I know he doesn't get the eternal life, but did you see the chariot that guy pulled up in? That guy's summer home has a guest house. I mean, is Peter making those kind of comparisons? Because sometimes we take our eyes off the prize. We start looking at the things of this world and we forget where real treasure lies. And what happens if we're looking there? We start pursuing those things instead of pursuing Jesus. Got to remember to evaluate things correctly. Have to remember to do things in light of eternity. That's the thing Christina says to me all the time. In light of eternity, does that really matter? And here's the deal. I know this now. In my daily life, I walk with Christ. I get what? Peace. Peace that surpasses understanding. I don't get peace from this world. So I walk with the Lord. I get abundance. I get joy. I spent years, first 26 years of my life looking for joy in this world. It wasn't there. When I remember that I'm loved by the creator of the universe, when I remember that God wants to have a personal relationship with me, I'm really okay with not having a summer home. It's I don't struggle much with the cost of my lost opportunities. I normally don't like to use myself or my family as an illustration over and over and over again. I'm going to apologize in this sermon because I, I couldn't come up with a better illustration than this one. But I think we can all picture this. If we're married, if we have kids, we can for sure. But even if we have just a little bit of imagination, we can put ourselves in this scenario. Because my life looks different when I was single to when I was married. And I can't... <laughs> I can't go into all the details. My life was a wreck. My life was a, a hot mess. I wasted a lot of time. I wasted a lot of money. <laughs> I wish I could get those things back. It doesn't work like that. Hear about the guy who played the country music song in reverse? Got his job back, got his truck back, got his wife back. <laughs> doesn't work like that. That's not real life, right? Before I was married, before I had kids, I, I know I had a ton of independence and I had a lot of free time. I had some more discretionary income. Then I met Jesus and my life looked different. And, and again, I, I'll tell you privately how messed up my life was, but I'll just say this, no peace, no joy. I committed to following Jesus and still that process of sanctification, it took a while for me to figure out I was supposed to be pursuing Christ, not living for myself. When I first got married, right before I got married, I was playing in a couple softball leagues. I played in one organized basketball league, but I played two nights of pickup with my buddies. I played a lot of racquetball. I watched a lot of sports on TV. And I got married, and I started doing that stuff less. Because Christina was not obsessed with that stuff the way I was. I didn't quit doing it, but I started doing it less. Why? It's opportunity cost. I wanted to spend more time with my wife and do a little less of that stuff. And that was pretty easy, honestly. Then we started having kids. And now I started doing those things a lot less. And God's real funny. After our second child was born, I had my first knee surgery, and I learned I didn't have any cartilage, and that'll knock you out of playing a lot of sports. But, so God took that away from me. But, but here's the deal. Even if I'd been healthy, I still would have played some stuff that I enjoyed playing, but I would have done it a lot less. Why? Those are opportunity costs. If what I'm really talking about is investing in my wife, spending time with my kids versus playing softball, that's not really much of a choice. Is that the way we're thinking about this? I mean, the takeaway is I don't regret playing less softball so I can invest in my wife and kids. I enjoyed those relationships more than I enjoyed the other stuff. What is it for us? Where are we where we're weighing those costs? Look at our own lives. If we're Christ followers, are we pursuing him? Are we spending intentional time with him daily and giving up other stuff we could be doing? 
I don't know what it is. You got to know in your own life, if you, you know, binge watch a whole season of something and, and never spend any time with your spouse, you're doing it wrong. Can we give up watching that much TV to go hang out with our spouse? Can we give up watching that much football? I, I still check the scores. I pay attention when the Browns play, but, but I don't watch all the football games. They're just on in the background because I don't want to just alienate my wife, my kids. Can we quit spending hours checking our Instagram and our Facebook? I'm not saying don't check it. I'm saying don't spend hours checking it so that you could go get invested in a discipleship relationship. Go spend an hour and a half with somebody having coffee talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. Doesn't seem that impossible. Can we give up going to the gym for the seventh time that week so we can spend one night of the week in a small group developing relationships? Serving alongside people here in the church. It's those kind of questions. There's tons of options there. I don't know what all of them are for you. But, but this is the question. Bottom line, are we pursuing Christ? Are we desiring to know him more by how? Investing more time with him. Doing things that bring him glory. That likely will not happen if we look like the world. But we stand a much greater chance if we'll just deny ourselves and follow him. And this is great because when we're obedient in that way, the scripture tells us we're going to be blessed. I mean, that's a promise. I can guarantee that. Now, the motivation for following shouldn't be so that we get blessed, but that's the reality. This verse says we get blessed in this life and for sure we get blessed in eternity. We get blessed in both those areas. Now, the eternity alone ought to be a game changer for us. We'd be like, okay, it's worth it. <laughs> I'm going to get eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's fine. I get that. But this also says we're going to be blessed right here on earth. We understand this, right? Our eternal lives don't begin when we take our last breath. They begin the moment we profess faith in Christ. He wants us to have abundance here. I mentioned that our move coming to the valley was hard. It's hard on us because we knew we were going to be missing family. But here's the thing. God gave us more family. If we'd stayed in Missouri, we wouldn't have known a single one of you. And you guys have blessed our lives. That's the opportunity cost. Now, I think this comes into play in our finances so often. I think people don't give because we don't trust that God's going to take care of us. He's the one who's providing for us and we don't trust him. I remember hearing a story about a pastor and he had a, a young guy in his church and this guy was a professional, was making some money, but the guy didn't give anything to the church. And, and the pastor was really spending time with this guy, investing in him. And so he was challenging him, hey, why don't you give regularly to the church? And the guy said, I'm afraid if I give to the church, I won't have enough money to pay my own bills. And they went back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the pastor called him on it. He said to this guy, listen, here's the deal. What if... You laid your finances out in front of me, and I promised if you give to the church and you don't have enough money to cover your bills, I'll cover the difference out of my pocket. What if I did that? Then would you give regularly to the church? And that's because I said, oh, yeah, yeah, if you cover me, I'd totally give. The pastor said, are you kidding me? You'd trust me? <laughs> the pastor has almost no money in the bank to cover the difference, but you're not going to trust the God of the universe? owns a cattle on a thousand hills to cover you in this difference? That seems a little out there to me. But that's what we're saying. The reality is we're blessed when we follow Jesus and it's in this life and yes, for sure, in the life to come. Blessings forever. Blows my mind. We're gonna get to be in his glory with the angels, with the saints and there'll be no sin. 
There'll be no suffering. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no COVID to diminish from that experience. And yes, we don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like, but I like that picture that God's painting in his word. Streets of gold, jeweled city, river running through it. I think the idea is supposed to be, hey, that's going to be pretty nice. (laughs) That's going to be a lot more than we can possibly imagine. And we're going to be able to experience that if we realize his promises are true. But we got to be willing to let go of these things that we're clinging to on this earth. We have to commit to being in God's will. We have to commit to pursuing him with all we've got. Because when we do that, the promise that he made to the rich young ruler in the passage last week, that promise is for us too. You remember what the promise was? Sell all you'll have and you'll have what? Treasures in heaven. That is true. And that's encouraging. But we got to be super clear here. There will also be trials in this life. It's what Jesus focuses on in the last portion of this account. Look with me, starting in verse 31. Jesus took his guys aside. He said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. You ready? He goes into detail, verse 32. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. We mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they've scourged him, they will kill him. The third day he will rise again. Verse 34 blows my mind. The disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. They did not comprehend the things that were said. Now, the weird part of this to me, and it took me a long time to wrestle through this, but Jesus tells this story often, right? And here he talks about how he's going to be treated, about why he came to this planet. In the Gospel of Luke that I can count, and there's one veiled reference, so I won't count it. But up to this point in time, six times already, he's told them how he's going to die. And these guys don't seem to pay any attention. (laughs) And that's just what Luke records. I'm sure day to day he's talking about it more than that. They keep totally missing it. Here he goes into a bunch of detail, handed over, mocked, mistreated, spit on, scourged, killed, ultimately triumphant. Disciples are clueless. Why? I wonder if they're a little like us. They like to focus on the good stuff. They don't focus on the suffering. And there might be a little bit of a stretch here, and I don't like to do that, but but I just wonder, are they maybe confused because they really pray that Jesus is is being figurative? They hope he's not being literal. Maybe they think this is some kind of spiritual lesson about his death. Either way, the truth is, Jesus faced trials. He was never unclear about the fact that he would, and he's not unclear about the fact that when we choose to follow him, we also will face trials. You've read your Bible. You know what's in there. Jesus paints this picture in John's gospel. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, get ready. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The trials are promised for us. But here's the deal. They don't outweigh the abundance The opportunity cost still favors following Jesus. But be honest, the trials will come. Because when we follow Jesus, this world is not our home. So for the disciples, for Peter asking this question in Luke 18, not only are these guys going to have to go through that sorrow of watching Jesus die, not only are they going to be persecuted themselves, but they also endure this confusion of not totally getting what Jesus is trying to teach them. They're just clueless. And in this passage, I kind of like the idea that the meaning was hidden from them, right? Because in God's sovereign wisdom, he knows 
when we can handle stuff and, and how we're supposed to get that information. So he's in charge of that. And, and, and truly, this is kind of mind-blowing to me, but if you think about the big picture, the fact that the disciples seemed clueless about the crucifixion, about the resurrection, that actually, when the resurrection happened, when the crucifixion happened, that provided additional proof to all the other Christ followers back in the day. Because they didn't have to deal with the disciples running around going, no, it's going to be okay. We know how it turns out. He's going to be fine. You know, they weren't doing that. They were clueless and, and sad as well. So that helped everybody. That, that actually augmented the power of Christ's resurrection. I always have to remind myself of that or otherwise I, I get lost in that. But that was on purpose. God allowed that for a purpose. But we understand Christ suffered. He was persecuted in this life. And then he promises us we're going to have trials. We're going to have to endure persecution. And those opportunities, and I hope that's not a stretch to call the trials opportunities, but that's what they are. Those trials are on purpose as well. They help us grow. I'm pretty bold in saying this, but I've never been proven wrong on this. If you go up to anybody you know who's a Christ follower and you ask him, hey, when did you grow the most in your life? When did you grow the most in your journey? Not a single person ever goes, when Pastor James preached that sermon, they always go, when I was going through this trial. When God picked me up and carried me through that trial, that's when we grow the most. Try it and see if somebody proves me wrong. I think this is the deal. Based on our own life experience, we get there's gonna be hardships. There are problems in this life, but there are many, many more blessings in this life. When we deny Jesus, when, or when we deny ourselves, when we follow Jesus. And then we know there's even bigger blessing in store. We're talking about eternal life here. And we, we can't truly wrap our minds around that here on this side of heaven. Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, then we're going to see face to face. Here on earth we see in part, in heaven we're going to know fully, just as we also are fully known. But on this side of heaven, we're just too finite to truly grasp what heaven's going to be like. But here's the deal. If we trust in God's promises, if we desire to know him and be known by him, if we'll let everything that we're clinging to get out of the way, everything that hinders us in growing in our relationship, drawing close to him, doesn't matter what it is, our stuff, our favorite possessions, our favorite sins, if we're going to make that commitment to live like Jesus did, where he was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. When we deny our selfish desires, when we seek God's will for our lives, that pursuit of Christ, that process of sanctification, that's going to be the characteristic that defines us. That's going to be the thing that people see in our lives day in and day out. Will we follow Christ? Is it worth it? <laughs> with all my heart, I believe that it is. But there's a hard word in there. We've got to follow. Let me close with this. Many of us struggle with this because we see ourselves as leaders. I'm a leader. It's hard to follow. I read a story about a young woman. She wanted to attend the college of her dreams. She'd wanted to go to that school as long as she could remember thinking about going to school. She gets to be a junior. She applies. It's her senior year. She gets this big packet of info. She's got to write essays and fill out all these forms and scholarship stuff. And one of the forms has this question. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? And she knew that wasn't an area where she had particular strength and she wanted to be honest. She wrote no on the form. Sent it back in. 
Thought, well, there you go. That's it for my dream college. I'll never hear from them again. Imagine her surprise. She got a, a big packet from them the next week. The cover letter said, congratulations. Look forward to having you here at the university this fall. Said, we also have 3,476 other students who are coming, and they identify as leaders. We figured we should have at least one follower. <laughs> are we willing to follow? Leading is wonderful. Leading's bold. Leading's courageous. Many of you have great leadership skills. Not everybody's called to leadership, but if you're called to it, that's fantastic. Are we willing to follow? Are we willing to follow Christ so we can lead in a way where God gets the glory? Will we weigh that cost of putting all our stuff aside so that we can pursue him, follow him? God bless you, folks. I sure do love you. I pray that we will. Let's pray together. Daddy, thanks for this challenge. This is a tough one because it gets in our kitchen. We have to answer these questions for ourselves. Am I willing to deny myself in every area, in anything that I would elevate above my love for you, my devotion to you? Well, I set that aside. That's a hard question. Am I committed to being in your will and not seeking out my own plan? When I sacrifice my plan, if your will was so clear to me, and I realized that's where the abundance was, will I pursue you? Will we set ourselves up well to engage in activities that will help us become more like Christ? Each and every one of us, we have to answer these questions for ourselves because it's about worship. It's about responding to who you are and what you've done by giving up our whole lives to follow you. Help us to be leaders in this fallen world because we follow you. Isn't that what Paul said? Follow me as I follow Christ. Help us to be those kind of Christ followers, Lord, in a way where you get all the glory, you get all the praise because you're so worthy. God, we love you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.